Welcome to Fine Meats and Cheeses, the podcast that says, yes, we're wearing all black, what of it? I am Leslie Grace Peter, the lifestyle columnist for the Baltimore Banner and an author. I'm here with my co-host who is... Lynn Streeter Childress. I'm her sister and I am also a theater professional in young audiences and we are so, so, so thrilled to have today a fabulous guest. Her name is Rissa Miller. Rissa Miller is an editor, author, herbalist, seer, and storyteller. Her storytelling expertise stems from extensive research into the area of esoteric history, including ghosts, divination, cryptids, and folklore. Rissa believes the most enduring stories teach us not only about humanity's past, but also give reason to reflect on our own present beliefs and realities. Please welcome Rissa Miller. Thank you both so much. I love being here with you. Oh, thank I also have to say Rissa has taken most, most of the good pictures taken of me in the last, since 1995, Rissa has taken about 73% of them. Um, it's very true. She's incredibly talented, and we were so excited when she said, um, hey, I'm going to write a proposal. Like, Just be on the show. She's like, I have all these things I want to talk about. I'm like, it's not that deep. It's just people you've known for 30 years talking about some stuff in our bedrooms, and it's cool. It's cool. We're so happy, um, but we love that you take it seriously. Yeah, by far the most prepared guest um, and also, not just guests, you're the most prepared person today on this show. So I just thought I would share this with you, including you the two hosts. You can't see it. Rissa's got like, she's got outfit on and she's got a backdrop. Because she was one who was like, people go, are we going to be on camera? And most people are like, you know, doing laundry, you know, yelling at your kids, whatever. And Rissa's all like, and we're like, oh no. So I was like, well, I don't have to look any kind of way. She's seen me, you know, not looking great before. So I'm here in like a, with no bra in a baggy running shirt and yoga pants and she looks all beautiful like she's about to start like you know reading tea leaves and being on television I'm like dang now but i was hoodwinked i should have showed up better prepared to this phone call and like me who can't even find my makeup bag right now it's i've just oh, no. placed it i placed it some, i placed it somewhere but at least i made an effort with my hair you can actually see a part um so so today, Rissa, on this episode of Fine Beats and Cheeses, please tell us what we are discussing. You know, the idea I came up with that I really wanted to talk about with the two of you, my two favorite pop culture experts ever, anywhere, always, is the um, revival of the goth girl in popular culture. Yes. So can you tell us First of all, what would you describe, define as, even if we're going to talk later about what it really means, mm-hmm. uh, possibly, but like when, when you say goth girl, what do you think people see and what does that mean? Well, right now, at this moment in time, when you say goth girl, everybody's going to picture Wednesday Adams. I would say 90% of people are going to picture the Wednesday Adams from the Netflix show. The goth girl archetype um, is not actually that old. Uh, It dates back to approximately the late 70s, early 80s, and it's kind of hazy where it started. So some people attribute the goth girl to the Victorian death cult obsession, right? If you go back to the Victorian era, 
Um, Victorians were obsessed with the occult, with wearing black, with funeral customs. Uh, mm. They gave us, you know, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein yeah. and all of the dark things that came out of the Victorian and spiritualist movements. However, there was not really a goth girl until about 1964 when the Adams family came out on television. Right. Now, you're going to say... That, that was before the date I just gave you, but it didn't, it still didn't become an archetype with Morticia, even though I would, I would, if I were writing this as an academic piece, I would say Morticia might be the first official goth girl that yeah. was in popular culture and got, dang it, she still rocks it. Like the original Morticia, uh, Carolyn Jones still rocks it. You look at her right now um, in those beautiful old black and white TV shows. She embodied everything that was goth. She was um, a, a lost romantic. She could wear all black. She cut the heads off of her roses. Um, <laughs> yes. She was unafraid of darkness, but yet she could still embody love. And I think that those mm. are a lot of the things that attract people to the archetype of the goth girl. Um, yes, when I say goth girl, you're going to picture someone who's wearing all black, heavy black eyeliner, perhaps black um, nail polish, all of those things that became through the 90s and early 2000s, sort of a, almost a cliche, kind of like the cheesy joke, right? That right. became the goth girl. Um, but there was so much more to it. Um, for those of us who identify with the goth girl in any way, shape or form, it um, was about a lot more than just the clothes. It was not just a way of being seen. It was how you saw the world. Wow. Again, this is probably the best research that we've ever had of a of a podcast episode. But um, well, you, know, you know well, I'm you're a journalist, journalist, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Rissa is and we'll give that back on her. Leslie and Rissa have known each other since ninety four, Leslie? Yeah. Um late ninety four, early ninety five. I think it was technically January ninety five that she had come back to the York Dispatch as an intern and I had just started there like the month before. And she, we met each other because I, her first impression of me, from what I remember, I had been in a car accident and was taking um, pain medication, um, the kind that they just don't hand you anymore. And I came to work. I was super loopy because at that point I'd only been there like a month and a half. I didn't feel like I could take off time from from work. They sent me home eventually, but um, Rissa <laughs> was like, she's weird. What's wrong with her? Because I was like, <laughs> And she's like, I don't know what's, what's happening. So um, that was our introduction to each other. I thought she was amazing. And we just became really, really close, super fast. Um, it was like that. It's like, okay, this is my person. And we've been friends now for almost 30 years. And it's really excellent. And having seen each other through so many stages and stuff, I was telling her before we started, I remember her. She had been at, she's from York, Pennsylvania, but she'd been at NYU. So she was very cool in New York and she like wore black and stuff, but she also smiled a lot. You know, she wasn't like a depressed person, but the more I got to know her, I mean, we all have moments where we were depressed, but she was basically, it, like when Rissa talks about, it's not just how you dress, it's the whole idea. She always was smarter than anyone I knew. She could quote poetry. She could talk about things like she's done research for this episode, but if you had asked her this conversation, if you, she read books, she knew what she was talking about. She loved Edgar Allan Poe. She has a sense of history 
with the things that she that she speaks of and it's not just an aesthetic it's just part of, of who she is so the authenticity of, of who she is um is really awesome so i'm really excited to talk about this with her you know, and that's one of the things again that i when you when Rissa gave us this idea of doing this that really got me because i don't know a lot about this topic i know what i what i see and i'm going to ask you this question rissa and then we'll answer it too um is what is the first time you remember knowing or seeing a goth a quote goth girl unquote um in in popular culture mm. well you know i did grow up watching the adams family Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I knew that I wanted to grow up to be just like Morticia. I mean, that hasn't worked out, but, um, you know, there's still time. Right. <laughs> but, um, I very distinctly remember, uh, let's see, Winona Ryder as oh. Lydia Dietz in Beetlejuice. Yes. That would have been 1988. And I was, gosh, was I still in high school or was I in middle school? Either way. I immediately loved every, well, obviously I loved everything about Beetlejuice, but um, I, I resonated with uh, Lydia's not fitting in. I loved right. her sense of style. Um, I was just like, I feel seen when, wow. I, when I saw that character. And, um, you know, revisiting her as an adult, I, you know, where she says, I myself as strange and unusual back in 1988, it wasn't such a good thing to be strange and unusual, yeah. especially in a small town. And I, I had a lot of uh, fear around not fitting in mm. and I'm a lot older now and the world has changed too. Yeah. And especially with generations younger than us, people, uh, pe- generations younger than us are really good at accepting and seeing people for who they are without trying to change them. And I, I love that. I Ooh. love that uh, people are coming along that can embrace someone wherever they are. Mm-hmm. That was not my experience growing up. No. And um, when I saw Lydia, I said, you know, I feel like whoever created this character gets it. That's so That's amazing. Wild. So I can say the first time I remember seeing somebody who I who I think qualifies as goth in that was Ali Sheedy in mm-hmm. yes. uh, The Breakfast Club that yep. was 85. Right. Uh, yeah. well, well, when we first saw it, it was later that year and our parents or our friend's mom uh, had to um, fast forward through the bad parts um, through the, you know, but yes. Um, but it's interesting that you, that you say that, Rissa, because again, going into the idea of this thing being quote cheesy unquote, is that it was kind of played as a joke and it was yes. played yeah, it was. And, and it was played as something that you had to get out of because right? yes. at, they had to give the, her a makeover so that she you, was acceptable. You yeah. have to give her a makeover where she does not look as great as she did no. when mm-hmm. she, she was didn't. who she was. And she didn't look anything like herself. I do love, though, that at the end, when she goes to kiss Emilio Estevez goodbye, she takes the patch off of his arm. Because it's like she's still herself. She's yes. still weird, even though she has on her pink bow. And that, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. But um, I think the first person I identified with, or it was probably around the Ali Sheedy thing, but I Susie of Susie and the Banshees. Yeah. 
um, sticks in my head. But I think that also those of us who were kind of mainstream, we're trying to figure out in some ways the difference between what punk was mm-hmm. and what goth was, because to us, it was all like something people told us was, was bad. You know, it's like, they're weird and they're probably the devil and they talk to cats and whatever, but <laughs> Susie made it cool. Susie made it with the eyeliner and the black. I mean, now I look at her name and I go, not cool to use the name word Sue. It's very like cultural appropriation, but I digress. Um, I just remembered that she was having clearly having fun with it yes. because the the uh, jeepers creepers where did you get those eyes? It was funny. The line was funny, and it was very much like peekaboo. It was so I was like, this is this thing they told us is morose and whatever. I mean, goth guys, you know, I listened to a lot of Depeche Mode when I was mm-hmm. you know in high school, and they were almost a cliche. You know, death is everywhere. Okay, Dave, we get it. Um, but I love them. But Susie had a playfulness mm-hmm. to her presentation of being goth that was very interesting to me because it felt like she took herself very seriously, but she wasn't take she took the moment seriously, but she wasn't taking everything so seriously that she couldn't get a laugh out of it. Um, I had mentioned to Rissa a movie that she did not think a lot about because it's not a good movie, honestly, but <laughs> Because we've known each other for a very long, we saw Empire Records together. Oh. Great, great soundtrack. Ugh. There are people who are like 10 years younger than us who like live and die in that movie. Mm-hmm. It's their whole personality. And they like, Rex Manning Day happens. They're like, oh my God. It's like, you all are so weird. But um, I remember the character, Deb, who um, was played by Robin Tooney. Yeah, who? Because there were the three archetypes, as Rissa had said. When we were starting this conversation before we started recording. That there was Corey, who was the slut, um, who was live. No, no, sorry, Corey was the nice girl. She was like the virginal Liv Tyler, whatever, with the little skirt, um, who was kind of an idiot. Honestly, there was Renee Zellweger's character, who was the slutty girl, who just honestly happened to have big boobs and like sex. So that meant that she was somehow bad. And then there was Robin Tooney's character, Deb, who was, um, who had admitted that she had tried to kill herself or considered killing herself. And so they do this weird thing where they get, she comes, she shaved up, she's shaved her head. She's come to work. She's wearing black and they go, we're going to throw her funerals. She's what it's like to be dead. I'm like, is that advisable for someone who just said they wanted to kill themselves? And they treated it like it was a joke. It's like, she just had a bad day. So we're going to, we're going to make it seem like this woman who's trying to tell you something bad happened to her and is expressing herself this way. We're going to put this goth like archetype on her but also we're going to be like all you need to smile is to smile and know that everybody loves you and i was like what it just it, it was disingenuous and stupid in 1995 and it's disingenuous and stupid now and i don't understand why people don't get that that's my thing sorry so, so what do you what do you well i'll say this when did you re- not realize because i guess it was early on was it something in you where you realize I feel like this girl um, and this is who I am? Like you, well, you said that about about finding Lydia. Did did then make you then want to go out and find more people like her? What did you feel about the way that you saw this character 
this person, this type of person being uh, portrayed in popular media? Well, first of all, um, I didn't know a lot of people like that in my real life. Right. Um, Not here. And even if there were people who identified with that, it was just not commonly done. And um, by the time I hit the end of high school, there was an all ages goth club here in York, PA. Oh, wow. And it was, it was called Big City. And um, I, I did used to go there and um, it was completely dark inside almost. So you couldn't really <laughs> see the other people. But, um, you know, good memories, good memories nonetheless. So I think that for me, it became more about um, identifying with the shadowed aspects of my own personality and um yes i love wearing black and uh yes i i love skulls and edgar Allan poe i mean we all have a skull i don't think it's scary like we're choosing one right now (laughs) but um that said it it's not so much to me an obsession with death as it is understanding a nobody gets out alive and b that we all have shadows and when you are forced, especially as a female identifying person, to constantly identify with, you have to be happy, you have to be nice, you have to be pleasant, you have to always Mm. be in a good mood. I didn't always feel that way. And I didn't understand why I was supposed to. And as I thought about it more and identified more and more with with the other goth girls that I saw come along in movies, I kind of felt like maybe it's okay to have both light and shadow. And then mm. as I as I aged and went to school for photography, I learned that shadows actually define light. So mm. you have to have a shadow to create an image in photography. Otherwise, there's nothing. You have a Absolutely. blank picture. Oh. Shadows are essential. And when you look at the whole mindset behind goth, it isn't just the angsty teenager. There's more to it. There is the angsty teenager. Don't get me wrong, but you don't have to be goth to be an angsty teenager. No. Um, the goth vibe, the whole aesthetic, um, what they're calling it goth core now, right? Um, it's everything's something core. Yes. Yeah, it is. But, you know, to embrace, um, it's embracing the shadows within you and being okay with them. And I feel like that's something that's really looked over by a lot of mainstream culture that isn't looked over by goth. Do you think that, like most things that happen with women, people want to dismiss them? Do you think that the reason that the archetype for a while became something to make fun of or just miss is because people want to dismiss the things that might be more heavy Mm-hmm. or nuanced in 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 a, in a woman and and they go they just dismiss you as being muty or weird or black wearing black um or black in your mood yeah. um do you think that it, it's it just become another that became another way just to dismiss what was going on with girls you know i think it became a way to <laughs> not only dismiss what was going on with girls but dismiss girls who were anything other and mm. um when you are looking at women, especially young women, um, they haven't necessarily fully embraced their their self-awareness and confidence yet, right? And to find something like goth to identify with and to suddenly find your your people in your space, whether or not they're, you know, in person or now online, it, it gives you that sense of community that's missing, right? But 
to the larger culture, it's still other. And, mm-hmm. you know, I love the craft, but then goth became associated with witchcraft. Mm-hmm. And um, by the time we, we got to like NCIS and Abby, oh. um, who I love, by the way, she kind of gave goth girls a huge brain. She was so smart. Yep. She was so smart. And that's one of the things that, because when I, I admit, when I first saw that character, I rolled my eyes because mm-hmm. I thought it was just going to be another cliche. Here's this weird girl who works in a lab who basically is, she worked by herself a lot, yeah. you know, because that's what she felt comfortable. But they made her until the end of the character because, you know, she and the actress and Mark Harmon were not getting along and they wound up writing her off. She voluntarily left. But I love that they gave Abby a lot of dignity. I love that they gave Abby a sense of humor. Mm -hmm. I love that they they gave Abby an opportunity to be weird, but be taken seriously. She was taken seriously. She was thought of as a an expert, which she was. Yes. And she was a young, attractive woman. And that to me, goth or not, was notable to me because she wasn't played in a sexy way it wasn't like she's the sexy girl with her with her cleavage out she was sexy because she was herself right but she wasn't she was not sexy in a you know stereotypical you know look it's the people from charlie's angels they're so smart but they don't wear any clothes you know kind of a way nothing wrong with that either but you know what i mean well, that's another all- movie that Ritz and I saw together was Charlie's yes. Angels. This is a whole other thing. A whole other thing. Well, another thing too about Abby is that she wore all black and and she was goth, but she was also she wasn't morose. No, she 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 wasn't um, down. No. She was actually quite enthusiastic and quite energetic, and it was a different. It would to me. It was so interesting you say that. More well rounded. It wasn't like again. I keep going back to Allison from um, Breakfast Club, who barely spoke. She squeaked. She yep. when she spoke, she spoke in like one word sentences, and was just very weird. Because also too, ah, there was also the way they showed it for sometimes is there was this insecurity. Mm-hmm, um, yes. Do Do you remember? Um, was it goth talk on Saturday yes, Night yes. Live? Yes, <laughs> right. It's Azriel. What, what? Um. Right. It was uh. Chris Azriel Kipian. Abyss. Right. Yes. That's right. It was a Molly Shannon, right? It was Molly Shannon. Yes. yes. And, and Chris Kattan. Yes. But but there was this idea though that this was something that these kids were putting on because they were right. trying to find an identity. Mm-hmm. Yes. But they weren't really um. This was something that they were trying on and probably like Ali Sheedy after graduation and they had to get quote real jobs unquote, they would leave this behind because this was a phase and not who they really were. Mm -hmm. And it is true to me that often things like that, that you're obsessed with in high school are that, but I felt it was a slap at a thing because obviously obviously this is a phase because obviously this isn't who you could actually be. Obviously this is something that was just a a, a phase and a fad and a thing that, you know, they were black and they were just depressed and, or pretended to be. And then obviously their parent, when their parents came home or into the room, whatever, they called them by the real names. It was a whole, (laughs) it was very funny. It was, but But it it was definitely part of what um, watered down the goth girl for, right. you know, popular culture. 
you know, that, that skit was funny and I, I enjoyed it. And I, I love <laughs> that they got people like Christina Ricci on it and um, oh, yeah. Sarah Michelle Geller. Like that was fun, but also it, it did make it into something that was a joke. What was it about Wednesday, which once again is a thing that I was going to ignore until you told me I should watch it, Rissa. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I'm watching Wednesday right now. <laughs> and you should watch it. And I turned to Brooks, my son, who is also friends with Rissa, um, and said, should we watch Wednesday? And he was like, on it, on it. And we sat there and watched it. And I, I don't think it was perfect, um, but I, I thought that it it did such a wonderful job of humanizing this character who is now in her third or fourth. I mean, also there, there's obviously been the some animated ones right. as well but you know between the the television show and then christina ricci herself obviously right. as the the iconic i think wednesday. wednesday and then christina ricci plays an older character in this version which i thought was so great too yeah, because I thought so too. it was really great what is it about wednesday not just in the execution of the show but in the world that is receiving it you think that is a difference i think that well, first of all, I think we've all come through darkness to collectively as a world because of 2020. We yeah. all had to come through our own darkness. And, um, you know, as I was researching my notes for this piece, I started thinking about, you know, what leads someone into their shadow? You know, usually you have to be forced into it. Very few people mm. are like, you know, it's a good day. I think I'm going to face my demons. No, that, that's just not a thing that really happens. Not really. No. So um, we all had to have that moment where we were, we were literally forced to sit still, to wait, mm. to be with ourselves fully and yes. um, collectively. And I think that there's no way to come through that global experience without having, ex without some darkness. And mm. I don't know if before that, Wednesday would have been received the same way. Tim Burton fans would have still loved it. Um, Adam's family fans would have still watched it. But because we've all gone through this collective gasp of shadow, we we see it differently now. And we've all had to go through it together. So I I think one of the themes of Wednesday is that she does, in fact, need a team. She needs yes. people to help her. She, the goth girl is always a solitary character, um, right. but not in Wednesday. In Wednesday, you see her uh, begin to learn that she can't do it on her own. Um, she gets help from Enid. She gets help from Bianca. She gets help from Xavier. Even though she doesn't want to take it, she needs it. Yeah. And um, you see this strained relationship with her mother, even though you see plainly as a viewer, the similarities between them, mm -hmm. you see the teenage mother dynamic going on. And I think that we can all relate to that too. Um, even if we don't talk to our mom on a crystal ball, we've, we've all had a moment where we've had strains between yeah. ourselves and our parents, especially when you're hitting that age where you really want to be independent, but you're not Absolutely. really quite there yet. And um, the Wednesday character is super smart. And I, it's the, the Wednesday character was always intelligent, um, going all the way back to the original uh, cartoons. However, right. this one is brilliant. She's creative. She's athletic. She also works really hard. Like you see her working at the things that she does. 
And uh, I think that that's a, a, a character is a, that's a character quality that we can admire, um, especially in a space where you're getting this girl who she she's a goth girl and she doesn't smile except for one time. I think she smiles one time when she sees her uncle Fester in the whole show. Yeah. Yeah. But um, you see this, this young woman who has all these qualities that she could lean on, but she doesn't, she just works hard. And that's a really admirable thing. I always love the line from the, I guess it was Adam's family values. Mm -hmm. the, The second one, that when they're at the camp and the little blonde girl goes, Mar-Pisa. I'll play the victim. And Wednesday says deadpan all your life. <laughs> and I just, that scene, you know what I'm talking about, Lynn? I do. Oh yeah. It's my favorite. That, that's my, that's my absolute favorite. First of all, I love everything about, I thought that movie was so brilliant. I thought everything. I liked the first one. The second one to me was so funny. That was that the one with, with Debbie. Joan, um, you know, Debbie. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Yes. He was Debbie. trying to kill Gore. That movie. I just, I watch it. I haven't watched in a while. I used to watch it every time I got bored and was like, I'm just going to watch this movie because it's so funny. But that line was this character coming into her power because what she was saying wasn't obviously about playing the victim in a, in a play acting thing. It was, she was making a comment as a woman on this other type of woman who choose, who judged Wednesday as a troublemaker as a weird yeah. And weird and a loner. And for Wednesday to be so like sardonically present to just fill in that line, the, the way that Christina Ricci does that line reading to be like, yeah, you're going to, not only is she going to be a victim in relationships with men, she's going to be a vi- play a victim. She's going to be that woman who grows up to be a victim in any play a victim in any situation that is difficult with other women mm-hmm. who right. is going to say that other women in, in the, the um, almost at the newsroom, cause that's where I am, but in the office or in social situations or in um, organizations that she's in, that everyone's jealous of her or attacking her. She's going to be that, that woman. And I remember in my twenties seeing that line and going, Oh, I understand what that means. And even at 51, it's even funnier. Cause that just, it's very direct. It and, it's, and it's very, um, I, the, the term Karen, right. Is overused, but that, but that young woman, in yes, what it would have been that now, um, yeah. right? Because the was she the daughter? Was she the daughter of Christine Baranski's character, or she was just the? So in the so for those who don't know this movie, in Adam's Family Values, uh, Wednesday and Adam Pugsley go off to summer camp, and they are among the outcast kids, and the um, them and any other people who read vaguely ethnic or less yes. than athletic or weird were sort of like in their group and the blonde typical uh, Chad Whitney type. I'm yeah. sorry if your name is Chad or Whitney, but right. People who would have those types of names and are the ones who uh, were given everything and the ones who were, um aspired to and and so um Christine Baranski and uh what's his name Leslie Peter McDickle right yes yes Peter McDickle who I love who was Janusz Pohos in um Ghostbusters (laughs) too but anyway um play the camp leaders and they do this 
horribly, horribly racist um, <laughs> Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving yes, pilgrim Indian thing. And of course, the pilgrims are supposedly the heroes and the oh um, the Native Americans are the um, are like the villains, but they're supposed to be villains, but they're supposed to, this is so great and we're welcoming you. And it's so interesting that this was 1995, right? Yeah. And, and here we are now, 28 years later, in this place where people are finally recognizing that the original Thanksgiving story is not great and, and a lie and that yeah. they were able to stand up and say, there's basically a big riot where the natives <laughs> Americans sort of like take over and it's the best thing ever. I mean, again, yes. it hurt, hurt children, but the <laughs> idea though, that you could see it and be like, yeah, that was pretty, pretty horrible. Again, nobody should be hurting other children, but the point no, but- is that they were wrecking stereotypes and they were wrecking archetypes. They were, uh, and that, and that Wednesday, as the goth girl, was the truth teller. Yes, she was yes. the truth teller about the darkness in that story. She was the truth teller about the lie of the victim of these, you know, perfect blonde pilgrim people. And it just, I think, to me, that's what has always, even though I've not ever identified as as goth, I respect it particularly now that i know more historically about it because they talked about the truth of death i am not a goth person but i am a person who has made money and a reputation on writing about death and writing about grief and writing about darkness that's pretty goth it, leslie you know it is so i guess i am goth um i do like an eyeliner do you like a wing um around leslie, my eyes, let me but, be the first to get you a black eyeliner you know it's a thing <laughs> i i love that so much um but I think that when we, Riss is very right that we're in a different place in society now because the the pandemic made us confront our own fragility health wise, and you know how close we were always dan- all were dancing to the edge financially and emotionally and mentally and everything else, and I think embracing that darkness as a reality. Uh, my favorite character in Wednesday is Enid, the little blonde werewolf, because she is a character. Werewolves are not, like, friendly in their werewolf moment, but she was a woman who was, a young woman who was balancing her lightness and her darkness. And she, when she and Wednesday have a breakthrough is when she says, you get, it's okay to like people. It's okay to feel things and you shut people out because it's scary and I let people in because I don't want to be scary to people Mm -hmm. um and even though her parents were mad at her for not fully embracing her werewolf her is it lupine 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 yeah yes um you know and I that maybe I like werewolves that character was all one of my favorites in um in Harry Potter I thought the actor was sexy um (laughs) it's like the you know the like camp you know like uh, the deep yeah yes yeah. exactly all that stuff so um i just i think it's really great that people can talk about these things because they are archetypes and yes archetypes and stereotypes are based in some reality they're based in some truth but to be able to see young women 
take this back. I mean, I'm on Twitter a lot and I see a lot of younger women, particularly younger black women. Although yes. I will say there, there were some discussions about Wednesday because Tim Burton has not always had the greatest track record with including black people or people nope. of color in a thing. Like Frank and Weenie is so racist. I watched it again recently. We turned it off. I'm like, this is terrible. But, and the characters initially, the characters in Wednesday that are black are the villains. I'm like, what is this about? But um, I think that by the end of it, she's become friends with some of those kids. Yes. And it, I actually it, love Bianca. I, oh, and she's gorgeous. She's, yeah, she's stunning. She's really pretty, really pretty, really powerful. Very. And there are, are I followed some women who identify and some people, people who identify as they, who are, who consider themselves goth, who are black on Twitter. And it was such a discussion about, even though they thought there were some holes in it, they liked that these characters existed mm-hmm. all together and that there was some recognition of that. Cause I think Bianca had some, has goth elements to her, you know, um, has, there's some really beautiful, first of all, I think every, all the, all the children were pretty. That's how old I am. They, they're they such are pretty children. children. They are. They're such pretty <laughs> children. Um, right. I just like that there is an understanding of different groups of people. I remember, I saw something once where someone said that black goths, this was years ago on Twitter, that someone said black goths weren't like authentic or they were trying to take someone else's identity. It's like, it's all an identity. It's all like, it's like no one is born wearing black eyeliner. It's like, it doesn't well, just get to belong. That's all a conversation, a, a myriad conversations that go, that fold in on each other about how, yes. about how black folks and people of color are seen as others. And if we do anything, it's only where other people put us. And it's sometimes only that white people get to be the ones that get to discover things and be other identities, but we are just black. But that's a whole uh, whole other conversation. That's a whole other conversation. Um, this has been so good. I mean, Lynn was not joking when she said, you're the most prepared guest. <laughs> and this is gone into, obviously, there's a lot of pop culture moments. But also, it's just, it's so, so great to have a discussion as women, all of us. Lynn and I are in our 50s. Riss is in her 40s. Who can have conversations about just the totality of being a woman. And that we all, all identify as different things. Right. But we get to discuss how it changes and how we have changed within that. And so, Mm -hmm. and I know I met Rissa right after high school and her telling me, I I had just moved to the town where she was from and her telling me about how she felt she was treated in high school and feeling like an outsider in this small town and feeling like she was not accepted if she was not, you know, a certain type of person. And it hurt to watch someone that you love deal with with that even four or five years after the the fact of it um i just i'm so honored to to be part of this discussion and to to see the evolution that you have where you're like yeah that's who i was well and take it yeah and i had a question so rizzo you are in your 40s Mm -hmm. um and you talked about and so there was a conversation that happened if i can share it right before we started Mm -hmm. recording where you were talking about how you were uh, maybe going to wear something pink or had something pink and realize that that wasn't you anymore. So when did you 
start to now at this at this age at this place in your life um and maybe it was a gradual thing and maybe it was an altogether sure. thing but when did you start to sort of embrace that goth part of you and what does that mean to you okay that's mm-hmm. a really good question lynn so i have tangled my whole life with wanting to fit in and um it it took a lot of years to come to a place where i thought it doesn't matter if I fit in in the big picture, as long as in my life and in the circle of people that surround me, I'm loved and accepted. Mm. And it it took me into my 40s to get to a spot where I realized that the people who love me see me. They truly see me and they accept me. And it doesn't matter to them if I love wearing black and right. I love going doing ghost tours and you know, but I also am super into being vegan and I love animals. Um, they'll meet me on all of those fronts and love me. But I spent a lot of years, a lot of years not understanding that. And I think that as as a woman, um, there is a, a greater call in society to fit in, to be nice, to to be light and sort of have a an airiness. And I do have that. But when I'm fighting against who I am, it's really hard to let it come out. Mm. And, um, you know, we were talking about Abby on NCIS. I can wear black and still be super chipper. And, um, you know, just like that character, I believe that uh, they wrote it that she slept in a coffin and yes. that she was still upbeat and supportive and a great friend. And mm. it, it took sometimes um, me seeing, you know, I can be who I am and still be smart. I can be who I am and wear what I like. I can be who I am and not dye my hair. And that that was actually a big one for me, yes. realizing that it is okay as a woman in my 40s to let my hair go gray. Actually, I, I let my hair go gray in my 30s, but not after I, fighting it for a decade. And by the way, she's gorgeous. I don't know. I know you guys can't see her. And we're going to put, when, we, when this episode comes out and we promote it, we're going to put out these ridiculously gorgeous pictures of, of this woman. But her hair is gorgeous and she is gorgeous and she is more gorgeous. I, I was in her wedding and her dress had black in it. And it was I remember mostly showing, black dress. Yeah. Mostly black. And I remember showing pictures like, what is she trying to be? I'm like, herself. And she looked better than you. And y'all just shut up. But um, she has always, I know it has not been always easy, but that beginning to embrace and say, this is who I want to be on this day, because this is who I am. And I look more beautiful, most beautiful because I, whatever. Okay. So I have to tell a story because once it goes back to things happen, how they're supposed to. So for Rissa's bachelor party and me bachelorette party me and one of our other bridesmaids were going to go to miami i'd rented a had put in a reservation to rent a convertible we're gonna fly into west palm beach and go to miami and spend the weekend being stupid so hurricane Jean, i think it was one of the ones that came in 2004 was coming and so they were getting all these alerts on southwest airlines not to come to south florida so they said leslie you should probably get out of there anyway where do where does southwest go directly for both of, for all of us. And it was New Orleans. So we wound up in New Orleans, which when I look back was the perfect place for you. Why didn't we think of that before? And we like walked around and like drank vampire wine. There was, there's a vampire, uh, line of wines, vampire, everything. And it was just, um, we were there in the middle of, uh, Southern decadence, which is gay Mardi Gras and did karaoke and did, did a lot of in vogue and stuff, but it was such a, (laughs) It, it was so great. 
but it was this really great opportunity even though we hadn't planned it that it was literally the last ditch thing we stayed right on right on the french quarter um to embrace who Rissa was in a celebratory way. Yeah. And she, she, and she, we walked around um, in, over the graveyards and she just, she knew all this stuff and she had all these ideas and she had all this stuff that she wanted to tell us. And it just turned out to be the most Rissa way of spending a, a bachelorette weekend. It was great. Yeah. It really was the perfect combination of, history and um, the esoteric and good food and good friends and uh, lots of beautiful men that didn't care about us at all. Which no. Was, which was lovely. But um, yeah. They're like, you guys are so pretty. And then they kept walking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, was, it was actually it was a great experience. It was great. <laughs> Just kept walking. I was thinner in that moment than I've ever been in my life. And I remember like seeing pictures of me and going, yeah, okay. That was really cool. Like walking around. I've also bought a skirt there that I tried to wear again when I went back to my real life and realized that it was basically um, a, ha- a, a, ha- a hairband and not really a skirt. <laughs> um, it was that that's how short it was. But anyway, um, this has been a really wonderful, a wonderful discussion. And I, I think it's so much just like with Wednesday fighting to be herself yeah. as she figures out who she is. I think that as women, I just wrote a piece that came out today in the Palmer Banner about menopause. So that's who I am now. But, no. you know, you have, you know, so we're not girls anymore, but we always have this sense of trying to embrace who we are at that moment and make a, make it authentic for us. So I truly thank you so much, Narissa. Well, well for, hold on. Um, ask for the this. Last, we have to ask the last question before we wrap up. Oh, I up. know. I was about to. I was okay. about to. Okay. Lynn usually asks, but I'm going to since I was talking. Um, when you look back at this, at the subject, do you find that it's ultimately cheesy, which I think I know the answer to this, and if it is, do you care? First of all, I think that for me, the answer is no. Yeah. For the world we're in now, I think for most people, the answer is no. When mm. you have people like Willow Smith and um, Megan Fox going out sporting their, their good goth look, um, you can see that another generation has come along and especially now with Wednesday, I mean, Willow Smith's goth-esque album came out before Wednesday, but um, I was uh, doing research that um, in the beginning of 2021, research about goth girls had gone up over 200% on Google. Mm. So mm. we're in a place as a culture where we're accepting more of this darkness in ourselves and others. And if there's something cheesy about that, I don't know what it is. Um, and I don't, I, you're right. I don't care what anybody else thinks anymore. I, I have definitely come past the point where I'm going to force myself to wear pink or bright sunny yellow because they're not me. And I do mm. feel imposter syndrome when I put those colors mm. on because they're not who I am. And uh, I'm okay with that. I've, I've reached a spot where knowing who I am is a comfortable thing. And I hope that um, any young woman or man or female identifying or male identifying or non-binary person who wants to identify as goth, who wants to wear their black eyeliner, just do it. Live your life. And the right people will love you. And the wrong Aww. people were never going to be the right people anyway. So... That is to go on a bumper sticker 
the, <laughs> those people were never gonna, the wrong people were never gonna love you anyway. Get That's true. it. Oh my God. Well, yeah, I wish Lynn at several stages of her life had known. Had you known know, I, I wish that, that. I wish that I could go back and tell myself that. Like, go ahead and wear the black dress. You know, yeah. go ahead and be who you are instead of trying to be someone else for other people. But even worse, for people I didn't even know who aren't part of my life now, who weren't part of my life a year later. Why would I, why would I stress over that? Why would I try to change who I am or look a certain way to please people who I wasn't even on their radar? That's really silly. There was a journaling prompt that I saw today that said, are your goals really you or they, or are they goals that were set by your partner, your parents, your kids, people around you or whatever? And that was like, yeah, you're right. That was like, whoa, what? And so what are your goals and who are they for? And um, preparing for this, I went through my closet and for one of the very first times in probably decades, I I saw mostly black, some gray, some white, some Mm. off white, a little bit of red, a little bit of dark blue, a little bit of dark purple. And I thought, this is me. I love Mm. everything in my closet. Every single piece of clothing in here is me. And I'm happy where I am, how I look, and what I represent to the world when I put any one of these garments on. And I think that part of the goth girl aesthetic is, yeah, I'm different and I'm strong in it. That's amazing. Amen. So, it's- Rissa, where would you like if people if you people want to find you, um, where should they look for you? You can find me on my website. It's teaandsmoke.com. It's where I um, book my divination work. I do tea leaf reading and smoke scrying. And um, you can find me there. I have an email there and Instagram and a YouTube channel. And I'm uh, always around. Yeah, and we're so glad, we're so thankful for that. Betsa, you're amazing. This has been a really, really, really great conversation. And um, Leslie, as always, thank you. And thank you, my sister. And as always, stay cheesy. Bye, everybody. Bye.